You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. In some ways, we're going to look at Joshua again. This sermon has been in the works for three weeks now, so we're down to three hours long. I don't want to make jokes about it length, but it, it's no, it'll be okay. We got time. We'll let those snow plows work on the roads, right? But uh, no, we're in Joshua five, and um, in God's providence, here we are today. So um, I just have seen. I think even with birth of Esther, just seeing again afresh the providence of God in all things, all things good and not so good, and how God works through those things. Um, but we're here providentially in Joshua 5. So I want you to turn to Joshua 5, 1 through 9 is what we'll read from, kind of moving out from the crossing the Jordan and those stones of remembrance um, into the circumcision today. I don't have any pictures from three weeks ago or whenever, and uh, so we'll just get right into the text. Let me read the Word of God to us. We'll pray and then think about what we have here. So let's listen to God's Word. Joshua 5, I'll read 1 through 9. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel, until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who had come out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Pray again for us. Lord, every word, jot and tittle of your word is important and precious and useful for us in rebuking us, teaching us, training us unto righteousness. And so these nine verses, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would do a work as as I try to navigate and help us think through them, as your people listen to them. Father, just work in our hearts about this this topic of circumcision and what it means and 
how we're to live this out here in 2019. What does that look like? We just pray that your spirit would work amongst us again for your glory. Father, we've sung about this morning the glory of Jesus, the Lamb whose blood washed away our sins. So Lord, I'm praying this message, not a message just of do good and let's go forward. Lord, that that Christ is seen as the crux of our doing good, the foundation of our doing good, the cornerstone. So help that to come through, Lord, I'm asking in your name. Amen. A little bit of a trivia question here for you this morning. You don't have to answer out loud, but I'm going to give you a couple symbols. You can figure out the brand name from them. If I say swoosh, you think of probably Nike, yeah. Arches, McDonald's, good. Uh, an apple with a bite out of it. It's apple, yeah, okay, that's good. They're all uh, brands, aren't they? They're, there's logos associated with these brands, shoes, fast food, computers. They identify the brand that you're purchasing. And some of us were quite loyal to certain brands. We're going to only buy the brand with the swoosh on it or with the, I'm still figuring out the U and then it's an A, right? And how, you know, how that works. Or if you, if you want to buy a Big Mac, you don't go to the, the king you go to the Arches, to, to McDonald's. You go to these places. They're brands. You could say here in Joshua 5, the people of Israel are being rebranded here on the western side of the Jordan. They're be, being symbolically marked via circumcision as the people of God. So through this passage, though, I want us to help understand a couple of things here as I prayed about even. The the significance of the idea of circumcision. And parents, we're just going to keep it there, circumcision. We're just going to talk about it at that level. Um, two, why is it now taking place? Why on this side of the Jordan, in the land of, an, of enemies, which is amazing, we're going to look at that. And then three, how does it, again, connect to us in Christ, this idea of circumcision. So we're going to look back at verse 1. I'm not going to read it again to you, but the fact is that the enemies of Israel, they had heard of the Lord's drying up of the Jordan, these Amorites, Canaanites. The news spread. And when that news of the mighty hand of God spread to these people, their hearts melted. There was no longer breath in them. Uh, ESV states there was no longer any spirit in them. I think this verse 1, as long as it is, it gives us Kind of two things. One, a global news update. Kind of a, here's an update in the, the, the global news or the regional news of Palestine, of where Israel's going, of this land. There's, the enemies are afraid. The status of the nations, they're afraid. Their hearts are melting. But I, I also think it connects, and maybe not so clear a way, it connects to this section here on circumcision that we're to remember the status of these enemies whose hearts are melted, whose spirit has left them as the people of God heal from circumcision in an enemy land. Just think about that. God brought them over, and yet I think we're to notice something about the enemies are fearful, and we'll look at that more as we get to verse 8. 
But then we continue into verse 2 and 3. I'll read those again and look at them with you. It says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Here's familiar now. Command of God, follow through of Joshua. God commands circumcision. Joshua gets the knives together. He's going to do it. Him alone, probably not. Probably a lot of helpers to do this whole nation here. But what God commands, Joshua follows through. But then the question for us here is why uh, circumcision? What made it so significant to accomplish first once they had crossed the Jordan? And I want to give us just a brief overview of this particular practice of the Israelites. Hopefully it's going to help us understand its significance here at this point in their conquest then of the promised land. So um, the, one of the most helpful places is really the original command of circumcision, Genesis 17. So turn back. We're going to go a couple places today. Uh, but Genesis 17, if you want to look there, that's where we have this, this institution given to Abraham. And I'll start in verse 9. A little background. God has called Abraham to walk before him, to be blameless. And then he lays out how he's going to multiply his offspring and establish his covenant with Abraham. There's this covenant language with Abraham. And then let me start in verse 9. Just I'll read the paragraph here to 14. God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So the call of God here is for Abraham to keep God's covenant, and that included the sign of circumcision, be circumcised. Here's what one commentator says, and I think it's helpful as we think through what's circumcision about here. Here's what Derek Kidner says. The striking feature of the stipulations, I think really what we just read, 9 through 14, is their lack of detail. He's saying there's not much detail here. He goes on. To be committed was all. Circumcision was God's brand. The moral implications could be left unwritten until Sinai, for one was pledged to a master only secondarily to a way of life. It implied commitment to God's people and to God. If you hear in there just Kidner's words, circumcision 
was God's brand. I like his wording of branding. Those circumcised are God's people, his nation, his possession. They're branded, if you will, as the people of God. It was to be a sign of God's covenant to them. I think the circumcision itself has no value apart from the thing which it signifies. And it signified that, again, those circumcised, they're God's people, God's covenant people. Going a bit deeper, then, one resource, look up, you know, circumcision, what is it? One speaks of it as being an outward sign of inward consecration. An outward sign of inward consecration. Think of Moses here. He says this in uh, Deuteronomy 10, 14 through 16. He says this to, to Israel. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it, Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Then he says this, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. So I think even in Israel's day, there's a sense, there's physical circumcision representing something in the heart, a consecration to the Lord, a setting apart, a cutting off, if you will, from allegiance to anything but the Lord of the covenant, a branding of just whose they were. They were the Lord's. He said, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. But something happened in the wilderness. and We can turn back to Joshua 5 and look at that, and it explains why this new generation, having crossed the Jordan, was not circumcised. So again, look back at Joshua 5 now. And uh, 4 through 7, just kind of this chunk here. Here's what it says again. Listen to some of the repetition here as well. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised. I like when the Bible just gives us these clear, here's why. Here's why. The circumcision. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Egypt's here a lot. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, Yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Key word here, verse 6, 4. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So what is it, and some of you are going to remember from the history of Israel, what is it that happened in the wilderness that caused this whole generation who had come up out of slavery in Egypt to perish in the wilderness? It's verse 6, as I mentioned, the middle of verse 6, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. It's worth just looking at that section a little bit, so I want you then to turn to Numbers 14, where we have this account of this circumcised people that had come out of Egypt, and yet they did not obey the voice of the Lord in the wilderness. Look at Numbers 14. I'll We'll read at verse 20, Numbers 14, 20. A little background again. Numbers 13 is describing Israel's initial spy mission into the land. 
They were commissioned by God to do this, to search out the land. So in Joshua, we're already in the land. Back here in Numbers 13, we're still wandering. This is the initial first spy mission. At the end of 40 days, these spies return, and they report, yes, the land flows with milk and honey. I think they even bring back a cluster of of its fruits. But they say the people are strong. The cities are large and fortified. There are giants in the land. And then in chapter 14, Israel cries out and grumbles. Though if you've been reading in Exodus, that's not the first time they grumble. And they say, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They were done. That was it. We want to return home. And the Lord through this, I'm kind of paraphrasing some of this. The Lord threatens to strike all of them, to disinherit them. You know, Moses, I'll make a new people. But Moses intercedes for a purpose of the renown and glory of the Lord. And he pleads with the Lord to pardon their iniquity. And so we get to 1420. Just listen, in light of where we're at in Joshua across the Jordan, let me read this through 35. Then the Lord said, so here they're in the wilderness, they've disobeyed. He says, I have pardoned according to your word. Then verse 21. But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory, excuse me, and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. None of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure." I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. That's the background to our verse 6. They had not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Sure, they were physically circumcised coming out of Egypt but their lives did not reflect who they were to be. God was to be their master, their Lord. 
But they rebelled, lacking, I think, faith in the God who showed them multiple signs all over the place. They're the ones, they saw God part the Red Sea. They tasted the sweetened water at Marah. They saw God send manna every morning and so on. And though they saw the signs, they did not believe. Their actions proved their disbelief. A little side note, a little break of application. Simply viewing the signs of God does not produce belief. Now, signs help and we see God, but those by themselves do not produce belief. It's the heart that needs the circumcising, the changing. And I think this gives encouragement to us in terms of ministering the gospel or truths of Scripture to others. The seeing needs to take place in the heart, and that's only a work of God through His Spirit. We can't coerce people into the kingdom. Sometimes maybe you've thought, if so-and-so, I have, if they'll just watch a movie, they'll, they'll get this because this one really tugs it and they'll get this. Or if they'll just, or if God just, you know, it's light out now. If it just becomes dark, then they'll believe. That sort of, if that, that sign, I mean, Israel's kind of a case in point here of seeing the multitude of signs of God and still acting in disbelief by their disobedience. Certainly, Certainly movies and books and signs can be the means of God, ourselves being the means of God to teach and to tell of the works of God. But God must do that work in the heart. I think that can give us just a, a rest as we minister to others to say we, we preach the word, God does the work in the heart. All right, let's go back to Joshua 5 again. Seems like we're... Out and back, out and back, back to Joshua 5. And so Joshua does circumcise these sons of Israel, this next generation coming out of the wilderness. And then verse 8 gives this little fascinating note, I think. Verse 8. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Can you get a sense of just how risky it was for this congregation of Israel to go through circumcision in an enemy territory? Uh, Genesis 34, some of you have read that as well. There's an account of the sons of Israel um, in defense of their sister Dinah and some foreigners, this foreigner, I can't remember his name, wanted Dinah, and, and they said, well, if all your people are circumcised, then you can have her. Well, they knew what was going to happen. So all the, all the foreigners said, sure, we'll be circumcised because our leader really wants your, this Dinah. And so they do it. And while they were healing, I think it was on, the, yeah, after three days, there was healing taking place. That's when Simeon and Levi come in and take the whole group because they were healing from their circumcision. They, Israel, these sons of Jacob, knew the effects of circumcision and they knew it would be dangerous for the, a weakening of them, and they used it against them. So here's Israel in a promised yet foreign land, enemy land, inflicting on themselves that which would lead to their own weakness. Here's what Thomas Scott says. He says, What general ever opened a campaign in an enemy's country in the manner that Joshua did? Is this 
Hilarious how they start this. On such occasions, all attention paid to the exercises of religion is too generally considered as a needless waste of time. Yet indeed, the help of God be the best security for success. And if his anger is more to be feared than the sword of any enemy, it will be found true policy to begin every expedition with repentance of sin and attendance on the solemn worship of the Lord and with using every method of securing his protection, though to a carnal eye it may appear unfavorable to success. Verse 1 laid out for us the people of the land, the Amorites, the Canaanites. They had heard what the Lord did on the Jordan. They feared Israel. And I think the nations, I think God had gone before his people. These nations were in fear. Even if they should be healing from their circumcision, God had gone before them. That they're, they're just afraid of them. They're not even going to attack them in their weakness. And though Israel was weak, brought on by just obeying the word of the Lord, here we see Israel obeying. God commands, Joshua obeys, the people obey. Circumcision happens, they obey. There's a living out, I think, belief in the Lord. What looked to us, maybe as we read this, it looks like a sign of weakness to them because they were obeying God. They were strong because of who they were serving. So verse 9 concludes this section. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Israel had obeyed the voice of the Lord, submitted to the weakened state of circumcision. But then we ask in this text, just what is the reproach of Egypt? What this rolling away of the reproach of Egypt, how do we understand that? And I'll just admit it's a bit hard to understand. But I think it's tied back again to the rebellion we saw in the book of Numbers after their first spy mission. There's some varying answers to this reproach of Egypt. Uh, but I think you can see it, I think, from two different angles that are in, are in harmony with one another. So one angle of what's, what's the reproach that has been rolled back? One angle is that the nation of Egypt themselves could no longer reproach, and let's fill it in with some other words, criticize or accuse God of failing his people in the wilderness because now they're in the promised land. Does that make sense? So Egypt can't look at the people of God and say, oh yeah, he killed them all in the wilderness what kind of God is this? He failed. We reproach God. No, now Israel is crossed the Jordan into the promised land. That reproach of, of Egypt is, is gone. But secondly, there is some sense, I think, in which the reproaches of Egypt as a nation are connected to the disobedience of the people of Israel. Their reproaches are connected. Why? Because Israel, though they had been saved out of slavery, they brought with them into the wilderness grumbling, rebellion, disobedience, lacking faith. And it really was their disobedience and disbelief that led them to wander the 40 years. That was the cause. God was punishing them for that. And it really, I think in a sense, brought on the reproach of Egypt. If you can follow that connection, and I understand it might be confusing. 
But I think their disobedience and disbelief presumably gave rise to the reproaches of Egypt. So then Egypt would say, see, God failed his people. There they're dying in the wilderness. Like I said, it's a bit of a hard phrase to understand, but my leaning here is that this reproach of Egypt is rolled away now by this ceremony of circumcision. It's a rolling away of the sin of a previous generation's disobedience and disbelief in the wilderness. Now a new generation. They're being called out. They're being brought through the waters of the Jordan. They're circumcised as a sign of the covenant of the promise to be the people of God. The reproach is in the past. It's been rolled away. A new generation, they're given the sign of being God's people. He being their master. They're they're rebranded, to use our language of today, rebranded as the people of God. But we know mere physical circumcision alone would not change those in Israel. We saw Moses calling for a circumcision of the heart, a change on the inside. And so I want to bring it to us here in 2019, us as New Testament believers in Christ. Head to the book of Colossians chapter 2 to look at one place. Colossians 2, 11 through 15, where we read about circumcision again. How do we understand this for us? Um, <clears throat> Colossians 2, 11 through 15. Again, a little background. Paul here, he's urging the centrality of Christ. He's saying, you that walk in him, be rooted, be built up in him. Christ, he's the fullness of deity, dwelling bodily. He, Christ is fully God. And then we get to verse 11, where it says this in him. So in Christ, in him also you were circumcised. We say, what? You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. No flint knives involved. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul paints a picture here of circumcision made without hands. It is, it's something that God does. And that's what verse 12 points out. Those in Christ have been buried, but they're also raised from the dead through faith in the powerful working of God. Verse 13, those who are, were dead in sin, they're uncircumcised in the flesh, God made alive with Christ, forgiving our sin by canceling our debt, which was paid by Christ on the cross. So here Paul seems to connect circumcision to baptism. The baptism here is spiritual, a spiritual dying and being made alive by God. So then physical baptism, going in, coming out of the water, 
It's a symbol of those who have been inwardly, you might say inwardly baptized, circumcised in the heart by God through His Spirit. The physical baptism being maybe a symbolic branding of one whose heart has already been branded on the inside as a redeemed one, a purchased one of Christ, one of God, a child of God, people of God. So then the call for us here in 2019 is to live in a way that makes evident who has branded you. That your belief in Christ bears fruit by His Spirit to the glory of God. That you grow in Christ's likeness, being transformed into the image of Christ, your Master, obeying when it looks impossible. Being glad in our weakness that the power of Christ might rest on us. Simply taking God at His word and then doing what He says. Some of those companies I mentioned to you, their logos are so recognizable, all we've got to mention is a swoosh or an arches, and we know. And in the same way, my question for us today, for me, for you, is your life marked, branded by Jesus Christ in such a way that when people see you, be it family or neighbors, they know you've been marked and branded by Christ? Paul's going to say later in Colossians, just the next, I think it's chapter 3, to put to death what is earthly in you. and Put on Christ, essentially put on compassion. Put on humility, forgiveness, and love. Be Christ-like. So do you bear the branding of the world today or of Christ? There's good news if you answer the world. My brand, I look like the world. There's good news if we're convicted by that. It's to confess it, to receive forgiveness in Christ. One of the verses we're memorizing, though it seems a long time ago, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May we not be like those who came out of Egypt, just bearing only just a symbolic mark of circumcision, and yet who, I'm not saying all of them, but who did not walk by faith in God. All of them, but Caleb and Joshua. Moses in there. He died on the other side. May we be a people of faith, believing God, enjoying His grace, and then, and then walking in this newness of life in Christ.